I was sleeping around, just a horny young gay Having lots of sex in lots of careless ways Then I got the word from my drag mother Come on, little miss Now we work with ending HIV Supporting and informing our community Serving up a podcast celebration Across the generations And that is why we're here <laughs> This is a sexual transmission We're stiff And plays Hi, I'm Blaze. Hi, I'm Steph. Welcome to Sexual Transmission, a sex-positive podcast for the people, queer people specifically. On today's episode, we're exploring cruising. What is it? How did it come to be? We'll also be talking to our very first guests on the podcast, starting with an extra special interview with Mike Binnis, one of the original staff members and certainly one of the main reasons I used to go to Late Shift Gay Men's Club. And we'll also be talking to Sean Thomas McGill, artist and cruising historian, about his latest exhibition, Durham Street West Men's Convenience. Don't miss out on this extra saucy episode. Well, let's get straight into it, shall we? Let's. Um, so, we're talking about cruising today, and I guess we should start off with what is cruising? Mm. It's kind of an interesting thought that what cruising is to me is probably going to be a very different thing to what it is to you. Yes. I know last week we touched a little on my experiences in um, the public lavatories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, that was my kind of foray into sex with men. Mm. But it actually, it created um, a very long-lasting attraction to that kind of sex. There was something that was very compelling about having sex in a public place, the danger of it the unknown, mm. you don't have no idea who's going to walk in. Yeah, exactly. um, you don't know what that person looks like with their clothes off or do they have a massive cock? Do they have a small cock? It's like, you know, there's, it's, there's so many unknowns, which kind of makes it compelling and interesting. Yeah. I mean, that must have been so delicious, like mm. the element of surprise and almost kind of all your Christmas is coming at once, with, mm. you know. Quite literally. <laughs> Quite literally. <laughs> it's really interesting, I think. That's just something I, particularly in my kind of, now that I'm in kind of in my adulthood. Just. Barely. <laughs> in the early days of, of my time as a sexual being, I wasn't brave enough almost. I wish, and now that I'm kind of in my adulthood, I'm like, oh, I wish... I wish I could do it, you know? Mm. Um, I mean, there have been times that I've I've kind of certainly done it, but in a much more kind of curated way. Mm. And I think with the technological advancements of Grinder and things like that mm. and the availability of anonymous and casual sex, mm. you know. You I mean, can, I guess it's important to note that, you know, things like the different apps that, you know, that, that this is a form of cruising. Totally. And that's, know, it's, and it's that's just a very different version of it. it it's still cruising, exactly. absolutely. It's kind of relieving to hear that. It's kind of like, mm. oh, yeah, like, I am cru like I am cruising. I am a badass. I am a, <laughs> I am a kinky bitch. Um, and it was so interesting. I, you know, just recollecting on incidences of cruising, and um, you know, you and I go camping at the mm. at the beach every mm -hmm. year. And one year, we, a couple of years ago, we were up there mm. at Titi and at about two o'clock in the morning, I hopped on Grinder, and you know, you think, oh, who's around in the campsite? Whose tent can I sneak into? <laughs> you know, who who can I get into? You know, who can I be head down? Ass up, waiting for. Um, 
And then I noticed about five kilometers away in Ruakaka, there was this quite attractive human being. And I was like, oh, that's a bit of me. And we got talking and la, 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 next thing you know, you know, because up at that campsite, you know, no cars can come in or out after mm, a certain time. Yeah, you're so locked in after You nine. have just got to make the trek on foot. Mm-hmm. And so what does she do? She walks to the beach and walks up from Uratiti right up to Ruakaka, about 5Ks up the beach with all nothing but her phone light in her hand and the moonlight to guide her. <laughs> like a <laughs> that's, traditional That's a 40-minute walk? It's, uh, truly. I left it about... Quarter past one, mm-hmm. got to the appropriate sand dune at about 2 a.m., mm-hmm. where we met and had quite a passionate time. But as you say, like, I didn't know, you know, usually on Grinder, you know, you get the face pick, you get the body pick, you get mm. the dick pick, you get the whole pick. You kind of know what you're getting before, you're trying before you're buying, sure. essentially. We didn't go through this process. It was early in the morning and, mm. you know, you just want to get your rocks off, um, which I guess is kind of similar to a traditional cruising experience, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, one thing led to another. And, you know, it wasn't what I was expecting. It didn't um, rock your world. It didn't rock my world, no. But it was fun. Mm. It was fun. It was like I, I think I got off more on the excitement of the whole rendezvous than I did and I, I, I think I think the the most interesting part of it I remember was the story that you got to tell at breakfast exactly. the next morning. <laughs> we were all very very impressed. <laughs> well, you know, she was quite you know the demure little debutante, <laughs> slutting it up on the sand dunes the night before. <laughs> but what I found really, I guess, fun in the in the kind of first days of going camping with you mm. up there was the kind of education I got around the library and, and how, you know, what you'd be sitting on the beach or swimming in the beach and up the top of the sand dunes you mm. can see the people looking into the gorse. and Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a rife cruising area there. And do you know what? Rife. I've been going to that beach now for eight years, every year for, at Christmas. I've never been in there. I've never been into that cruising area. <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously I'm married mm. um, in a lovely monogamous relationship and, you know, we, we don't get up to that. Absolutely. But, um, yeah, I've never even walked in there out of curiosity. Apparently it used to be notorious back in the day. Wow. I mean, it doesn't look like the most conducive place for sex. No. But then again, cruising never really was in mm. the most conducive of places. So I guess the thrill of a prick in your behind, apart from a prick in your behind, <laughs> is, is quite exciting, I guess. And there is a lot of gorse. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Nothing like a bit of scratch and tickle. <laughs> gorse and brambles <laughs> and a prick in your behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the- <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it is a very interesting thing where um, I feel as though you think that, feel like you've kind of missed an era of mm. you know the gay world, that whole thing. And these apps and, and the internet have come about in the time that I've been with Jamie. Yeah. So I don't even know anything about those apps. If you said to me, you've got to find someone on an app today, I would have no idea what to even do. We've got a lot to teach each other, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> and that is why we're here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... Thinking about places that are common for cruising, what's the mm. most unusual cruising experience that you've ever had? I was at a show mm. at a venue just off K Road, and I was in the bathroom mm-hmm. at the urinal mm-hmm. doing my thing, a bluting, mm-hmm. and so was this quite handsome gentleman next to me, and I looked over at him, and he looked down at me, down at me, 
<laughs> yeah, he was quite tall. Um, and then he looked down at me. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll look down on you. And we kind of just admired each other urinating for a little while. And then, uh, you know, what is that saying that if you shake it more than three times, oh, you're yeah. playing with yourself? Well, <laughs> yeah, well, it certainly was more than three times. And then all of a sudden it was yeah, not shaking anymore. It was bouncing. <laughs> and um, after that, we both washed our hands. I think it was like in the interval. It's good to hear you washed your hands. Okay, of course. <laughs> of course. You know, I was doing that pre-COVID as well. Thank well you done. very much. Thank you. My drag mother raised me well. Um, <laughs> and yeah, we went behind the cubicle, I guess, or the the place where the, because the toilets were kind of outside the venue. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was kind of a break in the show and it was something that, you know, people could come in and out mm. of. I was wearing a blazer and I had a bottle of poppers in my blazer. <laughs> She always comes prepared. <laughs> and I just, you know, huffed a bit of that. A few hoiks later and she was pumping away. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, that was it. That And we both went in back into the show and I, no, neither of us were having seen each other since. Mm. And it was fabulous. It was, yeah, quite amazing. But, again, like it was quite a, a curated experience, but I guess it was the most kind of risque or, mm. you know, interesting cruising experience. Yeah. I mean, I have, it feels like it wasn't that curated though. Like no, you just went for a it pee. Was, yeah. And it was just, and it was just there. You know, it was, it was yeah. great. I mean, it was probably beneficial that it was like a queer event. And mm, so mm. The, the kind of parameters of it were that the demographic were going to be right. in attendance. Yeah. How about you? What was your most oh, exquisite, gosh. extraordinary cruising moment? I was thinking about one of the most um, unusual. It was, I mean, it was it was about to be a cruising experience, and luckily it didn't become one. Oh, really? Um, I was in the airport at Abu Dhabi. Oh my gosh! And I was on my way to get on the plane to come home. And I went into the the duty free to buy some cologne, and um, I mean it's a, it's a very closeted place, mm-hmm. um, the United Ar- Arab Emirates. <laughs> and um, the man who was helping me, the the att- shop attendant, was um, giving me a few little glances, and was a little, you know, I could tell that he was gay, but pr- thought probably he's married because any man who is there has to kind of be married, any of the local people. Um, but he was, he was giving me the glad eye. Um, and I bought the cologne and I walked around and I bought a, a few other things. And then I thought, oh, where's the bathroom? There it is. Closed the door. I was standing at the urinal. 10 seconds later, he must've run from his little post at the duty free. Wow. He was right next to me in a huge bank of urinals. Mm. He was standing right next to me, looking at me, looking up, looking down. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I feel completely comfortable with this experience. So I zipped Mm -hmm. up, Mm -hmm. started walking towards the basins. Two armed (gasps) policemen with shotguns walked into, not shotguns, machine guns. Oh, my God. Walked into the toilet. If I'd have been horny or thought I might do this and anything had have started to happen, I probably would have been arrested and thrown into jail. Oh my gosh. And so I couldn't work out, was this man, um, 
Yeah, that, that's the the term, isn't it? Baiting. baiting yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, actually yeah. something that used to happen a lot in cruising places. Mm. Would be policemen would come in, mm. and they would start to come onto you, and then they would arrest you. Well, that's yeah. what happened to George Michael, wasn't it? He, totally. He yeah. was completely baited by a police officer, and it was something that happened all the time, and you know, sort of pre nineteen seventies, and mm. a lot in the UK. Yeah. There's a very interesting documentary um, that Rupert Everett has done on Netflix. We can post in the bio a link to that, but it's all about the history of cruising in um, the UK. Oh, amazing. From pre-legalizing of, of homosexuality yeah, yeah. right up through to the AIDS epidemic in the UK. Mm. It's fascinating. But yeah, getting back to this experience, I mean, it was, you know, a, a whiskers here away from me being arrested and thrown into an Arab jail. The gay gods were smiling on you. Yeah. Oh my um, goodness. Completely crazy. Yeah, it almost feels like he might have been like a plant. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah because it was, you know, he was, I was a way away from his little mm. perfume stand. Mm. He would have had to hoof it to get in there seeing me walk in. That was a cruising experience that never was, and I'm damn glad it never was. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Just that story of you and your duty-free shopping mm. in um, Abu Dhabi. Uh, reminded me of a time I was, one weekend I went shopping with some girlfriends of mine mm. and uh, <laughs> I arrived at the mall quite early mm-hmm. and I was waiting around and I kind of got bored of perusing all the shops and so I was sitting there and got quite hungry mm. but that hunger seemed to translate to horniness and mm. so I hopped on Grinder and... It's um, another valid type just of hunger. Exactly. She was ravenous. <laughs> and um, hopped on Grinder, And I saw that there was this person 26 meters away because, you know, Grinder does that. Right. Um, yeah, you need to talk me through all yeah, this. I so have no it's, idea it, what yeah, it means. Yeah, it relies on your geographical location and okay. everything. On, uh, yeah, and so it tells you how far away, away people are. And this mm, person was 26 Handy. Meters. So handy. Is so it kind know. of like Uber where they can hold up the, um, the phone <laughs> and they have a, a color that, <laughs> yeah, that corresponds color, exactly. to your color? It's like hanky color. It's like a hanky code, but <laughs> like an LED screen. <laughs> and, that would be a good feature that it they would should be introduce. So good, like you, it's an easy way to figure out that it's the person you're actually looking for yeah. if they've got like a headless picture or something. Absolutely. Um, and this person I'd seen at various other places throughout Auckland. I thought, oh, you know, I've always had a bit of an eye for him. Mm. So we, I messaged him. I was like, hey. He was like, hey. You know, we got talking. He said, what are you up to? I said, oh, I'm just waiting for my friend, but I'm here early. Mm. And he was like, do you want to meet in the bathroom? Oh, wow. And I was like, sure, which one? Because, you know, malls always have several. And so we did. Just no small talk, just straight into straight making into out. It. And then he just pushed me down and, you know, I had a bit of lunch. Mm. And that was great, you know. Perfect. Nothing like a bit of protein for lunch. And no armed policemen came bursting no through the door? No policemen. No, I, I was just worried that a Westfield security guard was going to come mm. and knock on the door, but nothing. It was, you know, strangely unpopulated for the time of day that it was. It was just kind of fortuitous and lucky, Perfect. like the gay gods were smiling on me that day too. So Perfect. it was delicious. <laughs> anyway, we digress. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, what are some, in your experience, some of the more prolific cruising spots in Auckland? Mm. I'm kind of out of touch now, but I remember back in the day before I moved overseas in the early 90s, Mm. um, there were certainly a lot more places um, where people would cruise. You know, there were a lot of the Victorian underground bathrooms. Oh, amazing. You know, most of them have kind of been closed Mm. up now. Mm. And actually, we'll be talking a little later to Sean Thomas McGill, who's an artist and 
I guess, a cruising historian mm-hmm. um, who's who's done an amazing art project around one of these types of bathrooms. Um, so it'd be great to talk to him in, in more depth about that. But yeah, I mean, th- those kind of places, they were really busy and they were a place that um, you could go to pretty much any time, day or night, and there'd be someone there. And yeah, I kind of feel a little sad that that part of our culture has kind of been lost in it a is, way. It is, isn't it? It's really sad that through gentrification, mm. um, we as queer people lose parts of our history that mm. say, for example, like straight people don't. You yeah, know, it's be- right. you know, the council can just claim a toilet that from a real kind of cisgendered heterosexual perspective is just a filthy toilet, but mm. for a whole community of people was sexual liberation. Yeah. That is a massive commentary on the inequities mm. of queer people, right? Yeah. To find sexual liberation in a toilet, I mean, that speaks for itself. It's, yeah. So if any of you cishets out there are listening to this, <laughs> I implore you, go hug your queer friends and tell them you love them because they... <laughs> They deserve it. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder how the AIDS epidemic influenced cruising spaces. Back in the day, there was no change in terms of people avoiding cruising out of a fear-based practice. Mm. Any of those places that I mentioned, any of the cruising bogs, any of the parks where people would cruise at night, um, they were all certainly much busier than anything that I know of these Mm, days. mm. It wasn't a thing that was frightening people into not cruising. Yeah. But the amazing thing that did happen was the community and in fact the AIDS Foundation set up a cruise lounge called late, you know, we all know it now. It's it's called late shift. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the early eighties, even before the homosexual law reform, the AIDS Foundation helped to set up um, this this place that was essentially a safe space mm. um, where you could get free condoms and lube. It was a place that you could go, and there was a lot of kind of pamphlet information, posters. And also, you know, if, if you wanted to go and have anal sex, then you could do it there because everything was there to make you safe. The really interesting thing that happened was the government wasn't doing anything to help our community. And so the community started to help themselves, um, yeah. ourselves. It's something that you see all around the world. I think we touched on it last week that it was the gay community and the queer community that was trying to make a change and trying to make things happen to find solutions to this epidemic because it was us that was being affected. It's crazy to think that we were the leaders in in making it right. You know, governments weren't standing up and taking care of of their communities or or their people. We're actually going to be talking later to to Mike Binnis, who was one of the early staff members of Late Shift. And um, yeah, I, I remember Mike from the first time that I went to Late Shift. He was like a kind of sexy 70s porn star. A good reason to go there, aside from getting um, your rocks off, was to go and see how gorgeous Mike looked. Can't wait to meet him. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> we'll be talking to him a little bit later. He's, he's a very interesting person. Our first guest tonight is Mike Binnis, who is someone that I met when I first 
started going to um, the late shift in the very early 90s. And I've known known Mike for years and years. He's worked in um, in cruise clubs and, and bars. And yeah, he's he's kind uh, of a... Get around. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's been a constant fixture through my, my whole time in Auckland um, on the gay scene. So yeah, well, welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. Yes. I started out actually working at um, Sanctuary in Wellington. Wow. Before I moved up to Auckland and then started working at uh, Late Shift. Right, yeah, which is when I would have first mm. first met you, yeah. <laughs> Part of the reason that we really wanted to talk to you is um, we wanted to talk a little bit about an unknown fact that I only just learned, which was um, the way that the Late Shift came into being, and, and that's probably a little bit before your time, but I'm sure you know about it, that the New Zealand AIDS, AIDS Foundation were a part of setting that up to create um, a safe cruising place right. um, yep. and also a cruising place where you know people could have good access to condoms and lube and you know just slightly right. more organised than being in a, in a car park. Exactly. Or a, yeah, a, a more protective uh, environment. Mm, mm. So, yeah, what, what are your, your recollections of that time? One of the things that I vividly recall about that is that I never saw anything like that overseas. Mm. I never saw anything like that in the U.S. Now, admittedly, I hadn't been around the whole U.S., but certainly not any place I had been. I hadn't seen it in Canada. And because I sort of came out after all the AIDS epidemic hit the, uh, the like New York City mm. and they closed all the bathhouses. Mm. Um, nothing seemed to reopen to take its place. Right. All you had were your bookstores and your little video arcades mm. and that was it. And in theory, you weren't supposed to touch anyone. Right. So that was very, no, 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 you can't do it. Of course it happened, but if you were caught, then you're kicked out. Yeah, sure. So I never saw anything like that. And then here... All of a sudden, you had places like Sanctuary and Late Shift opening up, mm. which had a welcoming and professional environment, mm. which was safe Absolutely. and had all the resources needed to keep you safe. Mm. And I just thought that was incredible, mm. which mm. is why I wanted to work there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> the other thing about it that I certainly loved was um, the decor, shall we call it. <laughs> right. <laughs> which was um, very much, um, this is well even before you were born, Blaze, but... Um, <laughs> I'm an old lady at heart. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, this might paint a real nice picture for me that I can take home. <laughs> the thing that I remember were um, there were these very specific themed rooms right. that were, yes. you know, there, there was a, a room with a, a motorbike that with was a light my favorite. <laughs> flashed on and off. <laughs> yep. There was a kind of a glory hole area, but there were, you know, each of the, the I think there were three or four rooms, weren't there, that were specifically themed. One had a of, uh, barber's chair. That's there right. There was the motorcycle room. One had a like a park bench and ah. had artificial trees, yeah. so it was set up like mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a, like a cruising park. park. Yeah. Um, and when they moved from Nelson Street to Dundonald Street, the next incarnation made it bigger and better. Mm. And one of the things I remember when they put up is they actually made a tree. Oh, oh yes. my god! Made a tree for the back area, and they made the the doorway to the uh, the men's toilets look like a cottage. Ah, yes. Move over Peter awning. Jackson. That's probably and where just, he got the idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that just that just helped the uh, not only the erotic side of it, but also the fact that it looked like you were in a place that really was meant for that. Mm, and mm. it validated. It made it erotic and fun, but also legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that I really liked um, about that as well, I mean, I came out in... 
89, I guess. Late Shift was one of the first places that I went to of its kind. And I remember there also being a kind of a real sense of community. You know, you, you, could, much so. you could chat to yes. people in a way that you might not chat in a bar. Um, you certainly wouldn't chat like that at, you know, a cruising park or a public toilet. Right, right. You could kind of have that sort of sexy discourse and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of something that was a little bit more than what you would do in a bar. Um, and but there were different was, spaces too. You had your, like the pool table area where you had the um, TV lounge mm. with, you know, free-to-air TV on. And you could talk with people and be friendly and mm. be like you're in a cafe. Mm, mm. And then you could go to another area that was darker and you could be a little more suggestive. And then you could go to the the maze, mm. which was really dark and you didn't have to say anything, but you could do what you wanted. So yeah, you yeah. had whatever you felt comfortable with doing, mm. that's what you could do. Yeah. And yeah. Not a lot of places to have that. Mm. It's interesting that you say there was nothing like that in America. Um, I mean, I know that there are places like that now. Certainly. Yes. Yep. Um, but even so, they're they're hard to find. When I mm. was back in, in Buffalo and even Toronto, I didn't see them. I know there are places like that in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure Los there are Angeles, in other cities. Yeah. I'm sure they are in L.A. There's um, a really good one that's actually near to the airport if you're ever having a stopover. <laughs> that's good to know. That's very good to know. <laughs> a lot of that was probably impacted by, you know, as you were saying, the bathhouses and a lot of those types of places that were closed down during the um, the AIDS epidemic. I feel like that was probably something that the powers that be wanted to keep closed for as long as they could. Right, which they, they were, did. Yeah, yeah. They were never happy with those places being around anyway. I think one of the other things that cruise clubs did here was up the ante for the saunas Mm. because the saunas now had to be bigger and brighter and better Mm -hmm. and have more. So all of the venues got much, much more um, legitimate professional Mm. with Mm. more options. And I say that because going back to some of the bathhouses that you do see in the U.S. even now – are very much like a low-budget hotel with white corridors and doors. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It's not very exciting. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I agree that the the saunas really did have to up the ante because, you know, if if you were going to go there, you were going to have to take all your clothes off, get into a towel. Like, Mm. I would much rather go to somewhere like the Late Shift, keep all my clothes on, take them off in the room. Yep. You know, it's like that's 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 kind of more fun than, you know, having to get undressed and, you know, wander around. You know, just, I don't know, I, I was more into just rolling my jeans down and going for it. <laughs> Convenience. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want to have to go and have a shower. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, no, I smell sweaty from the dance floor. I want to keep that on while exactly. I'm having sex. I don't want to wash that off. <laughs> I worked hard for this sweat. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the um, I definitely remember the the toilet culture was a really big thing here. The cottages, as, as we called them in the UK. Mm-hmm. That was, I think, probably the one of the the main kind of cruising areas back and in those that days. that was a lot, more, a lot more rare in the U.S. because you didn't have public toilets. Mm, you mm. know, they just weren't there. Mm. All the facilities were part of restaurants and cafes and other sure. things, and they had to have them for mm. their license, but you didn't have many public toilets. Mm, mm. So that's a whole side that I never knew existed until I got here. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess um, it's always been there 
more the way that it is here now. You know, there's a, if if you need to go to the bathroom in the middle of the city, you've got to run into a into a restaurant into or a mall. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that that scene being incredibly exciting. You know, it was it was at the time when there was still a lot of um, the underground, yes, um, Victorian underground toilets, and and those were notorious. And also, you know, a, a few in different parks around the place. Um, the underground toilets along Custom Street, mm-hmm. right at the bottom oh, of yeah. Queen Street. Yeah. That's been closed over, but mm. it's still there. Yeah. I always wanted to see if I could buy that and turn that into something because oh it'd be brilliant. You can't. It's right. not allowed. Mm. Um, but there are quite a few of those around. And I thought, oh, just to get one of those and actually own the rights to it mm. and turn it into something. Yeah. That would be brilliant. Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. And it would also preserve a piece of queer history. Absolutely, yeah. Another guest of ours who we'll be talking to soon has has made an artwork based on um, one of the, the public toilets in the city. So it's going to be really which interesting. Which one, dare I ask? Uh, the Durham Street one. Yes. Is, <laughs> yep. The yeah. one underneath Albert Street. Uh, mm-hmm. The 24-hour one. <laughs> yes. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's going to be interesting to hear. You know, he's, he's done a lot mm. of research into it. But I agree. I mean, you know, these are queer landmarks and they're part of our history and you know there's something that definitely introduced a lot of my knowledge and information about gay sex and sex with men and how men relate to each other in different ways I wonder how many people listening to this will say oh that's terrible I can't believe that happened and maybe and it never should have and and we'll get all sort of self-righteous about that forgetting that we didn't really have any other alternatives mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. if you look at before you had late shift and and even the saunas, they were sort of, they were expensive and not what you wanted. Mm. There was no other way to meet other guys. No, that's um, true, yeah. So that was the only thing we had and it worked and it worked very well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We're talking about our community, but there's also a, an enormous community of married men who have sex with men, you know, who obviously are right. going to be yep. going to an organized place. And and you, Blaze, have done a little little bit of um, background research on some of those. Yeah, exactly. And um, I was reading a little article that was kind of posing a question about if cruising is a result of a closeted culture, or is it another means of maintaining the integrity of a subculture that is uniquely our own? And based on what you both have been recounting at the moment, you know, it was definitely a subculture and this Absolutely. is kind of like a mm. a taonga a treasure of, of, of validation of, exactly mm, mm, of, mm. of our culture as queer folk that's right and but you know there is definitely the need to acknowledge that another kind of subculture of that subculture. Mm, mm, um, yeah, absolutely. It was necessary for those closeted men to be able to fulfill their needs. Mm, mm. And still to this day, you know, the beats in Western, you mentioned Western Springs. Yes, still yep. to this day, mm. she carries on. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure that those those types of people still frequent mm, these areas. Absolutely. And NEHIV did a project last year out at the beats where we were testing. We were doing um, free HIV testing out there, you know, spreading safe sex messaging because, you know, particularly that part of the community. And what better place to do it? Exactly. Has never really, they're a really hard target to reach, particularly with our messaging Mm. um, because of the, obviously, the optics of it. So Mm. to be able to target them in a space that they are able to claim as their own um, Mm. is very empowering and very necessary. Absolutely. The way I've had my kind of sex life informed and the things that I've 
been surprised by mm-hmm. have been much more organized, and right. I just uh, okay. I wish that my life was less curated in that way. Mm. Um, <laughs> but you know, going back to that discussion on kinks and things is you know one of the ways of signaling the different right. interests mm-hmm. was quite a specific quite sophisticated mm, and yes. nuanced code system yeah, of yeah. hanky code. Absolutely. And, you know, and you don't see it much anymore. No, more. no. Because, I mean, there, there was a, a I, I don't know if it's still the case. I've not been to the late shift for years. I'm, you know, with a partner now. But I remember everyone who used to work at the late shift would, you guys would kind of dress, you know. There was theming. There was like whether it was, you know, just um, you displaying your, you know, your, your personal way that you wanted to. Well, and more than that, it was signaling that it was not only uh, acceptable, but encouraged. Mm, so mm. that if somebody wasn't sure, well, I don't know if I'm going to wear a hanky, and they walk in and staff are, mm, it's mm. like, oh, I guess it's okay. Yeah. And it, it, it's a perfect way of signaling. Mm. We don't do it now as much because if you go to any of the online things, you know, you put in what you like and you yeah. tick the boxes. So <laughs> we don't need those anymore. But it's a shame because I quite like them. So we're talking about the hanky code, and I'm sure people who are much, much, much younger than me are saying, what the heck is that and what does it mean? Going back to my days, you had colored handkerchiefs that indicated what you were into, and they started pretty basic. You had blue and you had red and you had black and you had yellow. Um, And if you wore them in the left-hand back pocket, it meant that you were the active participant in whatever the color meant. And in the right-hand pocket meant that you were were passive. So if you, you know, liked oral sex, then you had one color and you wore it appropriately. And that was very helpful when you were cruising or at a cruise club or to some extent at a gay bar Mm. because you spot someone across a crowded bar and you see a man and you think – Ooh, he looks like what I want. And he turns around and thinks, oh, I don't want that handkerchief color. Um, so it did it did kind of help. <laughs> I believe that it, it actually started out when being gay was still illegal. Mm-hmm. And so it was actually a way, it was a very small portable thing that you could right. carry with you. And you that could no ease. one else would have a clue what it meant, but those Absolutely. in the know were in the know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, a fairly innocuous thing. You've got a hanky hanging out of your pocket that, you know, that's, I'm sure there were some mistakes made along the way with (laughs) people who just happened to be carrying a red handkerchief to work that day and popped it in their back pocket and got some very interesting interesting looks. (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the reasons why the hanky code became a little bit top heavy and, and, and went out is because you didn't just have the basic colors to say what you like. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, there was – there's a paisley and there's a lace mm-hmm. um, and there's a chamois. They get a little specific. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, And yeah. if you say gray, you then have to say which shade of gray. Right. And if you say blue, well, are you talking about uh, aqua, dark blue, light blue, Look at the blues. cobalt? Yeah, light, yeah. robin's egg, medium, navy, air force, light with a white stripe, teal. <laughs> teal, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very specific. I mean, back, back in our day, it was, it was literally – Red, blue, yellow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Red, blue, yellow, and, and yeah. black I remember as yes, well. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's so difficult because if, if you have a teal handkerchief and it's in the wash too many times and it turns into robin's egg, oh, my God, you're giving the wrong signal. <laughs> All of a sudden, you are getting surprised. <laughs> That's not yeah, robin's yeah, egg. It's yeah, yeah, teal. Yeah. Last week, I was the top. Now, I'm a bottom. <laughs> so, we, we, we touched um, a little on the AIDS Foundation's involvement in helping to set up the late shift. Is, is that something that you know a little bit about or anything about? I don't know the history or the beginning of it, but as as I might have mentioned before, um, 
when we were talking before the show, one of the things that I was really impressed by was the fact that you had cruise clubs now that gave you all the safe alternatives that you needed mm. to enjoy yourself but do it safely. Mm. And of course, the uh, NZAF was behind that and was supplying all the condoms and lube for mm. everyone, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And when I found out the more they did, as well as the posters and mm. and making people aware of it, which is really important. You walk into a venue and you're not sure what you're doing or why you want to do it. And you see a lot of posters that are graphic and specific and mm. say you're okay yeah. and do it safely really makes a difference. And mm. I was quite impressed by that because I hadn't seen that overseas prior to that time. Yeah, yeah. And then you had the candlelight vigils and mm. you had all the marches. And, and so I volunteered. We were making torches and putting up posters and things like that. And, and I thought that was really, really important. Mm. Um, I was um, marshals for a lot of the events, right. uh, especially in Wellington. And then once we got up to Auckland, then, of course, the explosion of Hero. Mm. And and that was like an offshoot of that. I found the, the NZAF was always there mm. and was always contributing to it. Yeah, yeah. I remember some of those earlier posters were, they were very graphic. And I think they could be more graphic because they would mainly belong in places like the gay bars, the venues. That's right. Um, yep. You know, we, we didn't really have billboards back then for anything to do with um, with our community. I guess Hero was probably the first time when we started to get more visibility. That's right, and that's when uh, that's when billboards actually started to appear. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess as far as um, thinking about the testing, like I remember the first time that I was tested, it would take a week for the test to come back. So you know, yes. that wasn't something that could happen in a venue. It was it was much more of a process because I think the likelihood of people testing positive, needing counseling, and also if you were to test positive, you weren't just going to go on to a nice, healthy little regime of tablets. It was a lot more serious. It was much so. more arduous, and, and it instilled a sense of panic. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, then back then they knew that, which is why they wanted to make sure that you were prepared for whatever the answer mm -hmm. was, even before they said yes or no. Absolutely, um, yeah. And it was it was in a very safe place. It was you know in a, in a, in a surgery. That's it was, right. Do you remember? Um, it was at the hospital up near the domain, and um, there was a statue. The way that they signified where you'd go and have your test would say that there's a statue. And if you look at the statue on the corner of um, the entrance to the domain, look at where his foot is pointed, and that's the front door. <laughs> I didn't know that. That was, that, <laughs> that, was, that was how they would signify that that was exactly where you needed to go. Okay. Obviously, they didn't want people kind of going and thinking, oh, I don't know which door it is. I'm not going to bother. Right. So, yeah, it was very clear exactly where his foot was pointing was mm. where you'd go in for your test. Where, yeah, where my first go. first few tests were like that. But recently, and I'm I'm quite tickled to say, I found the vending machines with the instant test. Right. And I tried that. And yeah. it's like, well, let's see how this goes. And I was really, really surprised at how – relaxed it was mm. and yeah yeah amazing that's so interesting i because i work at the nzaf i i did one just you know because i'm out there advertising them and i'm on prep and everything and i sat there and i still as i was watching it develop i was like oh i wonder what it will be like if i if i don't get the negative result 
Like, what's mm. the wraparound? But, you know, there is amazing wraparound with yes. those tests, with mm. them being able to, people enter in their details and then regardless of the result, we get in touch with them. And, mm. and so they are in a, a system mm. of care from the moment that they actually open the box. Mm. I actually was really impressed by that. I really was. The uh, vending machine was easy to use, although not quite that easy because the touchscreen was a little bit insensitive. It's like tap, tap, <laughs> tap, tap. Just no, like Grinder. <laughs> no, Mike, you don't tap it. You just touch. It's like, oh, there we go. <laughs> just a delicate. Yes. She likes a delicate, graceful touch. <laughs> um, that, that is interesting, though. Thinking about we've been in that world for many years, and and we've seen the different ways that testing has come about. As I said before, the the idea that if you you know in the very beginning when I was being tested, if you did test positive, mm. it was a death sentence, really, because yep. you know there there was no treatment, so there was a lot more riding on it, and it was a lot more sort of vested in in your emotions, I think. You know, and just to, the, just the whole difference from the first time I was tested, where it was very, oh no, oh my God, oh what's going to happen, mm. and. You know, you go through it and, and they take you into a room and it's in a doctor's room and mm. now they want to know everything. And it really instilled a sense of panic yeah. to now you actually go to a vending machine and you <laughs> touch the screen like you're touching for, I want a Mars bar and I want, <laughs> and you just touch it and the box comes through and you enter your email address and there it is. And you're all set. That's brilliant. Mm. The difference. There's no longer a sense of impending doom. Absolutely. And I mean, the amazing thing is, you know, it's it's not a death sentence anymore. We're in a very mm. different place, which is amazing and fantastic. Yeah. So for our younger listeners, I think the necessity of cruising, I guess, has is sort of less prominent because of, you know, technological innovations and um, the digitization and accessibility of sex through Grindr, mm. Scruff, Hornet, etc. And Mike, I was just wondering, how do you think that the digital age of apps like Grinder has changed the landscape or added to the landscape of cruising? It has definitely added to it. A lot of young people use the apps to connect with people, obviously, to then find a place to meet, and then they end up going to the same cruising areas, the same cruising oh. clubs. So in that way, it has helped. You also don't have the same feeling through an app that you get when meeting someone. So if you go to a cruise club or you go out cruising and you have all the emotions with someone you don't know and you see, and then we talked about before, mm. um, when you go into a cruising app, you're just swiping left and right and up and down and up and down. And yeah, I like that. No, I don't like that. I like that. Oh, what's the end of? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. And it becomes very clinical. Mm. So young people can do it much more quickly yeah. and they can sort through a lot of people faster. But I think when it comes right down to meeting, they still want to meet, and if you can't host and they can't host, you have to find a place. So it ends up being a cruise club or a mm. cruise area. So in a way, it has sort of just changed the uh, tapestry a bit. Mm. Changed the direction of traffic almost. Right. Yeah. <laughs> kind of fi fine-tuned it. So, mm. so even though you're going somewhere that's exciting and cruisy, you know who you're going to meet. That's you? right. Yeah. Well, or even you don't exactly know who you're going to meet, but at least sure. you get to spot someone in person from a distance. Mm. Mm. That's really And that's the feeling. When I kind of first came onto the scene, in inverted quotation marks, there was a lot of for want of a better word, stigma, that was communicated to me from my contemporaries in the community about cruising. Oh, you know, don't do that, la, 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 shameful behavior, la, la, la. Mm. And it's, you know, in my evolution as a homosexual, <laughs> I've 
learned that this is such an amazing part of our history and actually getting involved, <laughs> just get amongst, you know, getting amongst it is all part of the fun, you know, using Grinder to cruise kind of in an innovative way is a really amazing way to participate in what is historically such an integral part of our culture mm. as gay men. Interesting, that stigma that you talk about mm. for cruising mm. is also what made it enticing. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And now you've got apps that have changed that and it kind of points to the stigma, but it makes it more legit. It makes you want to do it more. So you can look through the directory but you're still going to visit the venue. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, don't get us wrong. We, we obviously were great advocates of, of cruising back in the day, mm. but there was a stigma still involved. Yeah, of course. You know, especially with um, with cruising in, in public toilets, mm. you know. You would call someone a bog queen, um, you know, which was a derogatory term. Sounds kind of hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wore the badge, Pat. I love it. Please welcome to the stage, Ms. Bog Queen. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'd be really interested, actually, to hear from any of our younger listeners and um, and to find out if there are people who who either have first-hand experience that they've found really hot in a cruising environment, if they've always wanted to but never had the courage or never known where to find a great place to cruise, or someone who had maybe even an accidental cruising situation, you know, sometimes you can find cruising by accident and you're like, oh, wow, that guy looks and like he might so be gay. And that's so much fun when it yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. It's like that, that guy's looking at me and, oh, Oh, he's going over there. I might go, oh, what's happening here? I'm cruising. I didn't even realize I was cruising. <laughs> I love it when we're cruising together. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it would be really great to hear, um, you know, some, some cruising experiences. How fun. From Absolutely. Some, you know. And also just on that, if people are interested in the act of cruising, NEHIV have a great resource on their website, which gives you six handy pointers just to keep you safe in cruising. They just talk about being aware that of people who may target those areas to, you know, potentially cause some sort of conflict um, mm. and just being aware of some of the legalities around cruising. Um, it's a really handy document. It's called Six Safe Tips to Help You When You're Cruising, and you can find it on nhiv.org.nz. So that brings us to the end of the interview. Uh, we just want to thank you so much, Mike, for coming in and sharing your expertise and experience with us. Oh, thank you very much. It's actually my pleasure. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> the pleasure was all ours. Um, it's been so eye-opening, and particularly I speak for myself as a, as a young person. It's just so nice to feel part of the conversation and to sit here with two incredible elders of our community and, and learn and I really hope that, particularly some of our younger viewers, I hope that they will have learned something and feel connected to that part of our whakapapa and that part of our history. I think it's so important. So thank you so much. It's been real special. Thank yeah. you very much. Thanks, Mike. This episode is proudly brought to you by Ending HIV. Speaking of testing, did you know that testing for HIV is just as easy as brushing your teeth? With two swipes of your gum, you can get your test results within 20 minutes from the convenience of your own home. Head to endinghiv.org.nz forward slash testing to find out more. Okay. 
Okay, team. So we're here with Sean Thomas McGill, who is an incredible artist who has just had his uh, show Durham Street West Men's Convenience uh, shown at Papa Artea, which is at the Parnell train station. It's actually a converted old train cottage, which I think has quite a synonymous meaning with the term cottaging, which I believe is a term that was coined to reference men seeking homosexual activities in toy. So welcome, Sean. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be here. We really, really are so grateful that you're here with us. Um, Thank you. And so obviously, this is the hot topic of the episode, cruising. Mm. Um, And your exhibition explored a specific site, a historic site, where there was a lot of that kind of action that went on. Do you want to tell us a bit about... um, the inspiration behind the work. For me personally, it's the great icon of cruising sites, which in my own life, which Mm. is when I think of a cruising toilet, I think of Durham Street West, you know, personally. And coming back to Auckland, I noticed that Durham Street West was closed and bolted up. And that is part of the CityLink development is why they've closed it. So As soon as I saw it it was closed, I started trying to collect information from it, you know, because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if it would just disappear like so many other sites have and do. Yeah, because so many of them have closed down now. A lot of those really notorious places where men used to meet each other and just taking a little step back, do you have memories and experiences from Durham Street West from when you were younger? Is that somewhere that you used to go and meet men and... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm. it was definitely a part of my younger years of exploring my sexuality, mm. you know. I lived in several apartments around the Lower Queen Street area. Mm-hmm. Usually I'd be quite wasted, you know, I'd head down and really into this world, you know, mm. um, this kind of place where, you know, nothing was really prescribed as it is, as I find it can be these days you know mm, like mm. you never know who you're going to meet in these spaces yeah we've we've talked about this mm. yeah, it's an interesting part of it isn't it right yeah there's, there's an element of chance right you know it's 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 not like a, a hookup where mm. you can look at someone's photos or right, right. you know something about them before you get there you literally turn up and, and see who's there sure and then make your choices i mean <laughs> the reason the work doing this work is important to me is mm. because It is a part of my own personal history. Mm. And because of that, I know that it's a part of others' personal histories. Mm. And also there is a legacy that is behind that history. Like Mm. I didn't show up and just decide, hey, I'm going to look for sex in this public toilet. Mm. The reason that was an option is because of, you know, societal oppression Mm. that forced queer men or queer people into those spaces. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Uh, when there was no other option, mm. you know, and that doesn't just go away. Mm. And that isn't something that deserves to be kind of shrouded in shame, mm, no, which is something that I carried with me for a number of years. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'd cruise at the Durham Street West Bog, but mm. I wouldn't tell anyone about it. Mm. You know, you don't want to tell anyone. Through many generations, um, you know, you're much younger than I am, and then there's people that are much older than I am um, who all have exactly the same story, and that is this kind of internalized homophobia that 
makes us, I guess, shroud our urges a little bit and and try not to enjoy ourselves too much. If you go and get your rocks off in a toilet and you leave feeling a bit ashamed, that's all you deserve. You know, mm. there's that kind of layer of cruising as well, which is a very dark side of it which is super interesting. And that's that's intergenerational for, you know, many, many, many generations, even people a hundred years mm. ago doing that kind of thing. And, and that's what queer people have been doing and putting up with for so long. That's an amazing point. And I think that really the, well, I call them the motifs of the public toilet are really helpful in mm. creating shame because you're being pushed and fornicating in this space that is surrounded with, you know, literally feces and urine mm. and it's dark and a lot of these public toilets were designed to be hidden underground, mm. you know, with these kind of Victorian ideals of mm. what is polite when it comes to going to the bathroom. A lot of the public toilets were men's toilets because it was considered inappropriate for women to be using mm. the bathroom in, in public. So... As a vehicle for generating shame, the public toilet is, is a really good one, mm, I think. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Amazing. And so I guess now coming to the work that you created, you know, you, you chose quite a few of the kind of decorative elements of the toilet. And I found it interesting. I was reading something about the steel plating that you used, the pattern of that. So you did like a kind of a rubbing of that and then made screen prints of it? Is sure. That, yeah. um, the kind of Victorian lattice work mm. that um, divides the cubicles mm. within Durham Street West. Yeah. That kind of work was built for privacy, you mm. know, but in a queer context, they became peepholes, you know, yeah. so the little punched out holes became a way to kind of view a body behind, you mm. know, and it was always kind of a, a movement because you couldn't really see yeah. Clearly, but I basically, because of the construction that's going on in front of the site, I managed to get as close as I could through, you know, friendly conversations to construction workers. You know, it's all padlocked and stuff. So I got my hand and did some, you know, iPhone photographs. Oh, cool, yeah. I did a lot of rubbings as well. Actually, that's stuff that I'm working on at the moment. But just really anything to preserve that site. Mm. Um, so it's it's completely locked up now. Completely yeah. locked up, yeah. yeah. The CityLink development will last for three years along, along mm. that stretch of Albert Street. And then allegedly, because Durham Street West was built in 1880, mm. it's historically listed. So allegedly it will be reopened. However, a number of these public toilets that have been used as cruising sites mm -hmm. are also historically listed and they remain closed. Mm, um, yeah. And there'll be some sort of, you know, earthquake risk or right. some other infrastructural risk. I believe councils don't want them there. Mm. Yeah. And also there's kind of an activism behind it as well. Tell us a little bit about where you're thinking of going with that. Are you thinking of kind of campaigning to to try and keep the toilet in place? Or What I'm super happy about is that this conversation is being had, mm. you know, that there is this site which is really loaded with queer history. And not only is it queer history, but it's New Zealand social history. Yeah, yeah. You know, we I think that needs to be spoken about. You know, why are mainstream histories preserved and why are minority histories 
not. And that's really clear with the site. For myself personally, understanding my position as an artist mm. as one of privilege in which I have a voice that other people don't. Mm. For example, I can have an exhibition, you know, and people come and see the work and I can direct their focus on, in this case, my own experience, mm, mm. but also to lift up really the story, which is my story, you know, mm, a queer mm. story, but also it frames it in a way that for some reason people will focus on when it comes to art. Mm. You know, I can have a million conversations with anybody in day-to-day life, but if I make it into art, their response, they seem to want to digest it more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's always a great way to get people interested in something is to put it in a pretty package. So true, <laughs> yeah. It really does open a lot of doors for getting a message there or just for, for making people look at something and then, you know, maybe their mind's open to what's behind that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a really clever device. One thing that I believe is that by omitting the queer history of Durham Street West, which the council has done through its exhibition Flushed Out, in Mm. which it talks about all the famous kind of queer cruising spots, which were mostly public toilets, Mm -hmm. you know, that big exhibition which does not mention queer histories within those spaces, Mm. that is a very dangerous position, I think, for queer people in which our story is being hetero-washed and not told. And the message that I receive is that, okay, that means my history isn't isn't as valid or Mm. it's not worth telling or it's a bit shameful or it's a bit inappropriate. I sometimes think as well that the problem is that there aren't queer people in those rooms where decisions are being made. It's not always necessarily a sinister thing. It can just be that it's not a voice that's in the room. That's why it's important for us to engage and to be part of things and to do what you're doing, which is, you know, shine a light on something. But then also, you know, maybe the next step from that is to get yourself in front of these people and Mm. just, you know, explain to them what's going on. And I found more often than not, a little bit of information and knowledge can can pique their idea of maybe this is something that's valid that we need to look at. You know, it's because so much of queer history is buried. It's not taught, you know, whether it's cruising, people being oppressed, or, you know, even people being celebrated for being queer people. It's not history that's necessarily recorded in the mainstream. But as soon as we stand up and put it out there, maybe there's a chance of of things, you know, our voices being heard a little more. So it's exciting that you're doing this. And, and also, it's exciting to think that, you know, maybe as an extension of the artwork, you know, there might be some activism and something that you might follow up on. That's a really amazing, really amazing thing. Well done. Thank you. Cool. And yeah, I mean, it definitely, the exhibition definitely felt like the beginning of something. Great. So, you know, I'm continuing to make work at the moment around that site, mm. but I'm also aware that there is, you know, this circuit of spaces that are mm. inherently queer in mm. their histories and their DNA. And they're kind of a graveyard yeah. at the moment. Did, I don't know if you guys were even born when um, this was a place, but at the very top of Howe Street, 
yeah. and K Road, there was a, an underground Victorian mm. toilet there. That was a really, really busy, very, very fantastic um, place to go cruising. I mean, it had been for years and years and years and years and years. And I remember when I was first moved to Auckland and first came out, you'd go down there any time, day or night, and it was teeming with people. Um, men who identified as straight, lots of gay people. You'd see people who were gay, but you would never ever see them out. This would be their gay contact, would be, you know, just going cruising and then they'd live a sort of fairly non-gay life. But it was amazing. It was like a little party, that place. I think what's really interesting <laughs> about that is that still happens in a much more, I guess, digitized context, right? Mm, you know, people mm. live out their gay fantasies and their gay reality on the apps yeah. and they lead these very in inverted commas and I loathe to do inverted commas normal <laughs> lives and that is their connection with their gay reality it's interesting though because obviously when it's digitized it's not in reality almost mm, you know and mm. I think what you're doing with this exhibition or what you have done with this exhibition is something quite truly special because it places that part of our history as queer folk into context that, and this is something I, I spoke in the last interview about, that people can digest, as you've said, mm. um, and place themselves in it. You know, I read an article about one person's, this person was a straight person who went and absorbed your work and their, their emotive response to it was quite powerful and, and and as you've both said the the advocacy around that is so important and connecting mm. people to that history it's really sensational and as a young person myself I you know I, I, I'm sitting here going I was born in the wrong bloody era like <laughs> I, I, I kind yeah. of wish that I had had the um, <laughs> wherewithal and the resource or the kind of circumstances life circumstance with with which I found my sexual liberation in these places. I kind of, I have a bit of FOMO. I kind of wish I had, <laughs> I had like been there to revel in the atmosphere of it all. It's yeah. exquisite. And I think your work really evokes that too, the real atmosphere of it, particularly that, that mirror piece that you do. It's phenomenal. It's oh, really, thank really you. Phenomenal. That's yeah, so beautiful. kind of you. Yeah. I mean, it was, when I made the work, it was very important to me that I make it quite accessible and quite beautiful and everything was made very lovingly. So with the screen prints, you know, of the peephole motif, you know, the frames are hand-painted, they're in glass, the colours throb. I wanted it to look kind of like a stained glass window, you know, mm. and when you stand in front of it, you're kind of reflected in the glass as well. You're worshipping at the house of Durham Street Public Toilet. Right, you know, but, you know, it's it's the house of Durham Street Public Toilet, but also it's worshipping at the altar of yourself, you know, yeah, of self-acceptance, love, mm. tenderness, beauty. And that's really what I'm saying with these works mm. is we are valid. Our histories as, as queer people deserve to be told, mm. and they are beautiful. And, yes, they do have sexual... Um, you know, there's some sexy stuff going on, but actually there's a whole range of things that accompany that, mm, you know, mm. and I think that they should sit within the mainstream, not as the little queer section at the side, mm, mm. but just like any other story of the mainstream, you Absolutely, know. Absolutely, yeah. And so the work, you know, like I wanted people to take their grandma, 
you know, mm. and, you know, I want you to take your grandma and I want her to think, oh, the colours are lovely, mm. you know, the forms are lovely. Absolutely. And, and be around this overtly queer work, which is queer in its subject matter and queer in its narrative and queer in its treatment, mm. but can hold place anywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about cruising in general, like aside from the artwork, obviously that was inspired by this amazing place. What's your history with cruising in these kind of places? Well, I mean, cruising has always kind of been something I've sort of dabbled Mm. in and out in the past, you know, Um, you know, like a little addition, a little side dish. To my amuse bouche, exactly right. Mm, a little <laughs> teaser. <laughs> I mean, usually for me, it would accompany you know a very big night, uh-huh. you know, and I would um, leave so and so and my friends and you know head home. Mm-hmm. There's those inverted commas inverted again, commas. there, listeners. <laughs> and then you know sneak out to you know when I lived on Queen Street, it was Durham Street West. Mm. So the late night aspect was an important thing for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, I guess in those days it was before Grinder. Mm, right. Before Grinder, you know. <laughs> Is there really late <laughs> before Grinder? <laughs> Prehistoric. <laughs> before Grinder, you know. Wow. Gagged. <laughs> um, you know, much in the same way that after a big night these days you get on Grinder and have a hookup. Right. This was kind of a place that was open for business, just mm. as the app is online, you sure, know? Yeah. For me, I felt really uncomfortable with my sexuality for a long time, mm. you know? I had my life, which is who I was around my friends and everybody else. Mm. And then I had my sexual life, which was undercover, hidden. You know, I would go to cruise clubs. I would go occasionally to a cruising site like Jerome mm-hmm. Street West. Mm-hmm. I think the anonymity was helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know how to, inverted commas, but be a queer person, right. you know. But you still had urges. So. Of course, and, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's really overlooked with these kind of spaces is – that there are a lot of people who aren't necessarily out or don't feel comfortable going and, you know, kind of meeting a whole group of gay friends and, you know, doing that whole sort of social as well as sexual side of it. So these are really important places for people to kind of start exploring that. Yeah. Whether it's a good or bad experience. Right. You know, whether it's something that is really fabulously hot. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, yeah. I know that I had some really, really hot experiences right. in those cruising places, and I was always trying to recapture that. Right. It's like an addiction that you get. Because, right, yeah. You know, you think, oh, if I go in there, I wonder if this kind of person's going to be there today. There's like an excitement of the unknown, and you can waste a lot of time just chasing that that high that you experienced. It's, right. you know, it's, it's very much like like some sort of drug addiction or something. It's, you know, and it's not a sex addiction. It's a cruising addiction. Right. You're addicted to that experience. I have a lot of friends who still spend a lot of time driving around to these very unusual cruising places. Mm. And it's because they want to try and recapture 
that experience and is this the time that I'm going to meet this guy? Right. Is this going to be the amazing like five man rugby player orgy? Wow. You know, whatever yeah, your thing yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Is, is this both, the one? Both of those. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have, one, I'll have one in each size, please. Thank you. I'll have them both at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Greedy bitch. Yeah, yeah. What else have you got? Like... <laughs> No, I mean... What else is in stock? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's a really amazing point, you know. Mm. Um, there is a lot of waiting that goes on in these spaces, you know, mm. this period. And also that type of sex, and I'm speaking from personal experience, mm. is quite addictive, mm. you know. Mm. and It's quick and dangerous. Right. And sometimes it's not even, mm. you know, sometimes you don't even come. Right. You know, because something interrupts you. Right. But, you know, it's so it's there's so many layers to it, aren't there, of what it can be. Emotionally for me it was quite safe. You right. know, because I never had to invest. Mm, mm, mm. I I could just be this Faceless kind of, guy number three right. at the urinal. That's right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my school production. <laughs> <laughs> You were faceless guy number one, though, weren't yes, you? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With the jazz hand out the side. <laughs> wow. So I think just to wrap us up for this beautiful cruising session we've been on. Um, <laughs> God, I've never done podcast cruising before. It's quite fun. Um, I thought we could just kind of go around the table and speak to some words of advice or experiences that have highlighted things that we p- think people should know about while cruising. Obviously, this is something that not a lot of people um, may know about. So if people are interested in doing it, you know, equipping them with the with some little tidbits of information to take on their merry way. Mm. Um, so, Steph, do you want to start us off? Ooh. As titivating and hot and sexy as it is, it's important to just keep a little eye on safety and just, you know, not put yourself into crazy situations where, you know, maybe coming on to someone thinking that they look hot to you, but maybe it's like some straight guy who's going to be annoyed by it, you know, just just being a little bit aware and not getting carried away by the energy that you're feeling and and, and think that, you know, everyone else is. I mean, I, I certainly remember times where I've been in cruising situations, you know, and maybe in a public toilet and someone's standing at the urinal just openly having a wank. And anyone could walk in at any point and... Sometimes they do, and the person doesn't necessarily stop because they're so in that moment. But it's kind of illegal to be exposing yourself, and not everyone's into it. So I guess respect for other people that might come in and um, and a bit of safety for yourself. That's really helpful and very mm. motherly advice. <laughs> um, you know, I, I absolutely agree. That personal safety aspect of it and, mm. and, and, and respect for other space as well is important. Yeah. Sean, do you have any thoughts or opinions around this topic? I sure do. I think when it comes to sexuality and, you know, having sex and stuff like that, I would just say, you know, be really kind to yourself. Understand that having sex is often what has been for me a process of exploration and that's okay, that's allowed. And sometimes when doing the dirty, you know, you you may do something that you regret and that's cool too because that's also learning, you know. Don't hurt yourself, don't hurt others and the rest is pretty much all good, I think. 
Peace, love, and happiness. <laughs> Peace, love, and glory holes. Um, that's so beautiful, Sean. Thank you so much yeah, for sharing, and thank absolutely. you so much for you know all of the corridor today. It's been really, really beautiful. I think you know from an from an ending HIV perspective, it's just really important to ensure that you are taking the precautions in your sex lives that are going to keep you safe. So, absolutely. using condoms if you're on prep, ensuring that your prep adherence is up to date, mm. um, ensuring that you're getting tested regularly under. Understanding that undetectable truly means untransmittable and that, you know, that is a really empowering message as well to be taking out there into the beats and into those cruising areas mm-hmm. um, and just and just knowing that and having that empowerment. Another quick little tip, maybe just letting somebody know where you're going. A trusted friend who you know you can trust that information with, you know, if mm-hmm. I was going for a cruise, I might text our lovely producer Vic and just be like, hey Vic, just popping out, might be, might be a couple of hours. If you don't hear from me, just... Um, you know, maybe check in. Just ensuring that, you know, you have people around you that can give you that wraparound support, particularly for you first timers out there. But that's some really beautiful advice um, from Steph and Sean. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, amazing. So thank you so much, Sean, for coming and joining us today. Uh, Your expertise, your artistic experience, and your energy has just been so beautiful to share with our listeners. And we're so grateful that you've you've come in and and shared that with us today. And uh, we were just wondering, you know, and particularly for our listeners, where we might be able to find you and your work now and in the future. Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really have loved being here. You guys are amazing. And it's this work is just really, really important that you guys do day in, day out. And, you know, we love you and thank you. Just a privilege to be here talking with you guys about Mm. the stuff, you know, and you can find me on Instagram, which is at Sean, S-H-A-U-N, Thomas, T-H-O-M-A-S, Miguel, M-C-G-I-L-L. Fantastic. Awesome. Slide into those DMs, honey. Give those posts a like. Let's get let's get Sean in the top 10 most followed Instagram accounts in the world. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, Sean, again, thank you so, so much for joining us yeah, today. Thank you so much. We thank really you. appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about next. Tell us on our Instagram, which is endinghivnz. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and share with all your friends. And check out the show notes for all the juicy links and resources. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Bye.